0: Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market.
1: Good morning and welcome to the David and David on real estate podcast. We are on episode number. David, do you know what number we are? We're it's very round.
0: I think this is the big 5-0. It is big
1: 5-0. We made it. This is episode number 50. And yeah, uh, you know it's exciting because uh, we were we were just mentioning that uh, we we had a guest for the last, I don't even know how many number of uh, uh, podcasts. And I mean, uh, we had some great people on. There was uh, you know some really great conversation. But it's nice to be just the two of us and and get back to the old ways of of doing things. And you know today we're going to be talking about a really um, important subject, uh, very timely as well. But before we get into that, uh, I noticed that your background changed a little bit.
0: It did. It's, you know, for, for our 50th episode, it's, uh, it's probably the, an appropriate time. So I'm actually doing it for the first time from uh, my Mississauga office. Uh, I, you know, through COVID and everything, I've been generally working from home most of the time, coming to the office the odd time here or there to the Mississauga office, been to the Markham office a number of times, the, our Toronto office a few times, but mostly I've been working from my home studio. And, and made a you know, particular uh, point of doing the podcast from there, just because I was set up from there. And I think I did a few from, uh, from the cottage last summer as well. But for the most part, I've been there. But this is the first one I've done from my actual main office in Mississauga. So it's nice to be here today, and, um, and I'm glad we're, we're, we're set up. And it, it feels good. It feels like some, some normalcy has has returned to the world. So it's, uh, it's good to be here.
1: Yeah, I think everybody's looking forward to things, just going back to normal and, and you know, life returning back to normal and, you know, people just uh, being, um, you know, still cautious, but going out there and, and, and really enjoying themselves and um, getting back to how things were back in the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. The world has changed significantly. There's some things we're not going to go back to. There's new technology in, in what you do and what I do. And we're still going to be meeting clients Virtually, you know, to a large extent, and even we do in person meetings, we do it now in our boardroom, and everybody's signing on tablets. So we're still doing, in effect, a virtual sign up, even if for the odd one that we do in person. So it's changed, you know, we've got people, you know, working remotely, uh, you know, partially some in the office rotating in and out you know, who knows if that'll ever get back to a, a system where everybody's going to be in the office. Uh, there's certain conveniences that people have found in, in our business, and I'm sure in every business. And I don't know, if, you know, what's the norm? Like, you know, I don't know what the, the norm to go back to is anymore.
1: Yeah, my, my team and I, we were just talking about, you know, the, the client experience yesterday at night, and then really just kind of looking at that and streamlining it and just making sure that, you know, uh, we really focus on providing the best absolute client experience every step of the way. And, you know, Dave, I agree with you. I, I, I think, um, you know, coming for an in-person signing appointment, clearing your schedule, battling traffic, you know, coordinating with your spouse, the two of you have to make it there at the same time, versus electronically, you, you know, you take out your phone, you review the documents ahead of time. Right. You enable your questions, you get to see everything ahead of time as well, and it just makes it easy, right? And I think right. consumers and, and buyers are, are going to be wanting this moving forward.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's not taking time off work, yeah. you know, to, to have, you know, we need, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes usually for a signing meeting. Um, it's not, you, you eliminate that traffic from leaving your office or taking a half a day off because you got to get to the lawyer's office, so you got to get there traffic, you got to get back home. Uh, no, you know, they, you know, someone can be at home and it's another spouse might be at an office somewhere and they can click in at the same time and they can do it, whether it's at lunchtime or they just take a half hour in the middle of the day without any travel time. So there's a lot of conveniences to it. You know, there, there's a downside too. like, I, I really miss that, that personal, connection that you have when you can you're directly looking at someone in the eye and you're across the table and they're signing and and then you finish and you, you have that handshake and congratulations and you get that smile and sometimes it's a picture because you know, people are excited or they're coming back in later and here you hand them the keys and and they're so excited you know so the agents still get some of that you know some of you you know you say like, oh go pick up your keys in the lockbox," but there's certain agents that will actually show up at the house with the clients to say, you know, I'll get the lockbox open and I'll hand you the keys and they still get that experience. But us as lawyers, we don't get that anymore. And I miss that part of it, but I don't know if we ever, you know, go back there. The genie's out of the box, right? And um, we'll see, but you know, there's pros and cons, but there's a lot of advantages. And for most people's lifestyle, this makes sense. The same way that you've been doing DocuSign for so long, um, it, you know, that makes more sense than sitting across the table sometimes and initialing, you know, agreements and, you know, and, you know doing, or doing it in the car and then running it back into someone's house, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the context has to be kind of taken into account as well. You know, uh, a lot of times signing happens a day, two days, three days before closing. That's usually a really busy time period in, 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 uh, in our clients' lives, right? They're right. moving, they're packing, you know, they're calling utility companies, they're they're setting up in- school interviews, you know, they're talking to their kids, they're saying goodbye to uh, neighbors, and it, it's a busy time period. And if you guys can contribute and make that experience just a little bit smoother, and, and more streamlined, I, I, I think that's going to be uh, very welcome um, by, by, by everybody. So, I mean, yeah. I know you guys adapted to get technology in, 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 you know, a, a crazy way. And um, you guys keep, uh, you know, challenging the status quo and coming up with new technology that makes it uh, easier. And I, and I think uh, clients are going to continue to demand that level of service from, from everybody.
0: Yeah, and and there's certain advantages that I think there's just no going back to like as you've experienced now on the client side of things, like when we we do have our signing meeting, you know, it's not like the technology is all that difficult. It's like we're sending you one email with a link, you click on that, that opens up your video conference, but it also downloads all the documents, they're just there. So they don't have to be sent to you in advance, you don't have to print them out. They're just there online. And you review them with the lawyer, you ask any questions, and the whole session is recorded too, like automatically. So there's a record of what the discussions were and what was being said and what was being explained. So that's a great advantage. And one of the real nice advantages, as soon as you finish and we push a button to end the session, the documents are automatically sent to the clients as well as everybody's got it right away you've got all the documents. There's no, we close the transaction and then 60, 90 days later, we do a report and we send you out a a report. Like there's no waiting for that. You have it right away. So it's not the final registered deed because we haven't closed the transaction yet, but you've got all the signing documents. But then when we close the transaction, we can report so much faster because everything's automatically downloaded. It's there. It's in, you know, it's, it's, it's pushing buttons and sending it. And as opposed to sending hard copies and printing them out and and delivering them or you know, having people pick up. So there's so many advantages. So I can't see us going back. No. Like it's, no. it's, it's you too good.
1: When you do an in-person signing, you're still using the same technology. So you're same still thing. leveraging, you know, the, you know, the, the meeting's recorded, the, the paperwork is there, the signatures are automatic, all parties get an executed copy, it's easy to locate, everything's yep. organized, and again, you're just elevating that consumer experience, and, you know, anybody has any questions, they can reference the, uh, the meeting, and, you know, they can uh, see the lawyers go through all the, uh nuances of, of the transaction. And, uh, you know, it, it it's great. I, I love the way you guys uh, use technology and how easy you guys make it on everybody. And, you know, yeah. my family has done several transactions in the last couple months with with you guys. And, um, you know, I was a part of some of those signing appointments just to help my parents through some of them. And, you know, it was it was it was great. It was a great experience. So, um, you know, I, I think you guys are doing a great job, and I, I think you guys are really raising the bar high for other law firms.
0: Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the the feedback, as it's critical to us. Because, you know, like any new technology, there's certain things we got to get used to and certain wrinkles, and uh, and we've had great response from the company that's done it. So they they've ironed out a lot of those wrinkles already. But the feedback is always really good. So it's appreciated and it's got, you know, we started this really in December and, you know, so we're half a year into it and it's improved and it's gotten better and better. And as we use it, we get better at doing it. So it's uh, it's been really good. And, and and you've, you know, just to get onto our our, our topic of today, you know, in, in those, in the process of dealing with it on the client side, you've also experienced, uh, you know, what can happen when a deal goes off the rails a little bit. And I'm going to throw this out there, Dave, because like you've been doing this for a long time as an agent, now as an owner broker, you deal with everybody else's problem files like they're coming to you all the time. But tell me honestly, when it's your file, or your family's file, isn't there a somehow a different level of attention to things
1: There always is. And I mean, we hear this a lot from from our realtors as well, when they're selling their own house, Um, you know, there's a reason why you hire a professional. And there's a reason why, you know, you want to be arm's length from from a certain transaction, because, you know, uh, we are talking about a lot of money, and we are talking about situations that can get uh, very emotional. Right, Right. I I think having the right profession on your side to help guide you through this process and protect your interests every step of the way is paramount so um, should a realtor sell their own house, probably not (laughs) right. Right. Uh, Should a lawyer close their own transaction? No, no, probably not. No,
0: no, because like, yeah, I'm no different. You know, when, when it's your own transaction or it's your immediate family member, one of my kids or some, you, you just naturally pay attention to it on a different level. There, there's an emotional connection to it and, and it gets heightened when something goes off the rails a little bit, because it's not just about knowing what your rights are, When something goes off the rails and that's really important because for any client, because we want them to understand what their rights are uh, so they can make an informed decision, because sometimes there's different options, how are we going to get this together, but I think you know me well enough and you know our, our firm and our attitude, we're always focusing on. Not what your legal rights necessarily are, but how are we going to get this transaction closed? What's the solution to the issue to get it done? Because getting it done is always better than than not getting it done. So, but in order to do that, you have to understand what your rights are. That's you still need that explanation, everything. But it's also hard to you've got to get rid of that emotional connection to some degree and say, okay, here's what I understand what my rights are, here's what my options are what should I do to, to get this done as opposed to like, you know, screw the other side. I'm in, I'm the, I'm in the right here and let's just hammer them and, you know, and, and make it difficult for them because I haven't done anything wrong and screw them. And well, you can do that if you want, but you may not get your transaction closed. So at the end of the day, is that what you really want? Right? So your job as an agent, my job as a lawyer is to try and keep our clients focused on that, as much as what are your legal rights
1: yeah and and i mean let's take a couple steps back because i think it's really important to um you know really talk about what's happening what's leading to this conversation Mm -hmm. uh what changes have kind of uh, happened in our market since you know the last time or because we talked a lot about you know uh, seller remedies when buyer is in breach of contract and, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, um, you know, things and steps you can do to kind of save upguard these situations. But there's a lot of recent changes that have happened in the market, which kind of brought light to this discussion. So let's talk about some of those things and let's put things uh, into context for the viewers. So the market's very different. And we haven't really talked about the market a lot, but um, the market is changing. We've seen two uh, rate hikes in the last uh, couple of weeks. We've also, um, you know, experienced the war in Ukraine, uh, which is absolutely tragic, and you know that kind of followed with the first interest rate hike. So, you know, people were reacting to what's happening in Europe. People were reacting on global scale to the media and to the negativity and, and the horrific situation happening in, in Ukraine, um, and the market reacted to it as well.
0: Right. Right, and, and we're and we're also in a post to some degree a post COVID world to uh, where there's supply issues globally and certain for certain materials and certain things. And that's and there's this inflationary thing that's going on everywhere. We're certainly feeling it in North America We're, and, it's, and most countries around the world are, are feeling the effects of that. Some of it is just economic cycle. And neither of us are economists, but we've lived long enough to, that we've seen it before and we'll see it again, right? Just there's a certain cycle. And no matter who is in government, um, it's going to happen anyways. Because, you know, you know, and the US, you know, we always point to there because it's really easy for them, the Republicans to blame the Democrats. and Democrats blame the Republican. They blame, you know, the Democratic president. So if you're listening to a Republican, the inflation is all his fault. Right, but the inflation is going on in Canada. It's going on in Italy. It's going on in France. It's going on. It's going on in China and Japan. It's going all over the world. Is that all Joe Biden's fault? No. But if you listen to the Republicans, there, it's he's the president. It must be all his fault, right? But we know there's all kinds of conditions that we can't control. But but this is the world we're in right now with all these influences that are all of a sudden affecting our market.
1: Right. So if, if you bought a house in January, February, March, and, you know, uh, certain parts of April, um, you know, you bought in a very different market with very different conditions. And a lot of the times, you know, you paid a premium uh, for transacting that market. Right. And now what we're seeing is, you know, we're seeing um, buyers uh, take a little bit more time to make a purchasing decision. We're seeing buyers paying attention to the media, and then we're also seeing houses not appraised at the same uh, prices that they sold um, in the early stages of 2022. So it's creating a difficult situation for properties that are, I call them, you know, in transit, firm deals that have not yet closed.
0: Right. Right.
1: Right? And, And, you know, I. I I think it's so important that, you know, we have this conversation because there are steps that realtors and home sellers could be taking and should be taking in this market to really uh, protect all parties and ensure that the transaction does come to a successful closing.
0: Right. And, you know, if, if we look back over what's gone on the last couple of years, like this was sort of a prolonged period of time where we've had this market with with not enough supply in the market, which is really the underlying factor. So when nice properties do come up, there's multi-offers. So we've been in that situation for quite an extensive period of time. But people have to remember, that's not a normal market. Like that's an unusual market, okay? And there's some real estate agents out there, some in your brokerage, others. If they started in the last two years, last year and a half, two years, they've grown up in that market. That's all they've seen. They've yeah. grown up in a market seen where a they, conditional offer they and don't do know a, how, to, how to draft a condition. Yeah. They don't know what, how to do it properly, how to put a condition for inspection, a condition for finance, a condition for status certificate reviews. And then what happens if you don't waive the condition or how you're supposed to waive the condition, how you, you sit across and really negotiate an agreement of purchase and sale they haven't experienced that they've submitted clean offers all they had to put in there was the names of the parties pick a closing date which sometimes is being dictated by the seller anyways put their price in and how much deposit they're filling in the blanks the the, the art of negotiating an agreement of purchase and sale and doing the back and forth and the sign backs and the initial there's agents out there new ones they haven't even experienced that yet right and then you've got agents that have been around the block they just haven't they some of them have probably forgotten how to do it they haven't done it for a couple years right but now it's a whole different thing so now you can actually put conditions in offers and then parties get another chance to say what happened when the condition are we waiving the condition or are we not waiving the condition and i get inquiries about that too because sometimes people are trying to use that as a uh, you know it's condition on financing or something well yeah i can get my financing but i've sort of got cold feet, or I found another property, can I get out of the agreement and rely on that condition? Because we haven't firmed up yet, you know, so we get those type of inquiries all the time now, too.
1: And and those are interesting, because, you know, a lot of the times, uh, you know, realtors have um, the wrong association um, with with how to answer that question. Right. And, and all parties have to demonstrate good faith. Right. Right. So if you have right. a home inspection condition and let's say the next door neighbor property comes on the market and it's $50,000 cheaper and has a nicer backyard. Well, if you don't do a home inspection and you just say, hey, I want out. Well, that's bad faith. Right. And the seller has every right to, you know, hang on to your deposit and, and, and call you out on that.
0: Right. Yeah. And in that situation, it's, you know, the, the seller may not have enough leverage to, to force the buyer to close if the buyer's really against closing. But they're certainly going to take the position we're not giving you your deposit back. And they should be taking the position. But not only that, but we're going to have to resell the property. And if we sell it for less money, or it takes us a longer period of time to, for a closing date, we have to carry the property. We're going to suffer damages. We're going to suffer losses. So we're going to reserve our rights to sue you for that. Like that's the legal position that they should be, be taking. It's really hard to, you know, for a seller to go to court to force the buyer to close the transaction because the judge is going to say, no, there's nothing really unique about this property. Most of the time there isn't. And in any event, seller, you can sell to somebody else and you can be compensated in damages. So that's generally what the courts would do, but it, you know, but it's still not a, it, always the best solution. So sometimes the seller might say, no, I'm not letting you off the hook. If you want to protect your deposit and uh, you're right and, and not worry about me suing you for damages, close the transaction. Right. If you don't like the property, you can resell it afterwards. It'll cost you a commission because but that might be less expensive to you than if you don't close the transaction just because you got cold feet. Because we might have some evidence that you didn't act in good faith here. You know, you're not really relying on the inspection clause, you're not really relying on the on the um, financing clause, and you're just not acting in good faith. So we're going after you, right?
1: Yeah, this is really serious, right? And and realtors and 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 all parties have to understand the seriousness of entering into an agreement of purchase and sale, right? Um, and demonstrating good faith in in fulfilling the contractual obligations of what they agreed to, right? So even if there's conditions in the agreement, um, you have to be very careful and, and go through the right motions and have the right intention to make sure that you're not in breach of that agreement and that, um, you know, there's no foul play play uh, by, by either side. So in, in this market, you know, we see it all the time. We see an offer come in, it's conditional oh, buyer change their mind. Well, what does that mean? Can you define that? There's two conditions in the offer. There's a financing condition, the home inspection condition, where does it say that the buyer changed their mind as an acceptable condition to um, exit uh, the, the real estate uh, contract?
0: Right. A, I've been dealing with one now, sort of that situation, obviously without naming names, we were on the buyer's side. And they, uh, they signed an agreement like on a Saturday, There was back and forth negotiation on price. And there were signbacks uh, that basically adjusted the price, but also adjusted some other things and things were initialed, et cetera. And the, they thought they had agreements done by Saturday night. And then the deposit's supposed to be delivered by Monday morning. And our client, the buyer client decided, no, we don't don't want to go ahead with this. We're not delivering the deposit. And I reviewed the agreement and it looks like things weren't signed and initialed properly because the parties didn't sign, didn't initial the change in the purchase price. So when you look at the actual agreement, it looks like the seller agreed to one price but never initialed on the lower price that the buyer agreed to. So yeah, that might be a technical issue, but the issue is whether it was signed. So we take position: no, it wasn't signed properly. And we're not giving you the deposit the seller's lawyer is saying there was clearly an intent that, you know the parties agreed to the lower price my my seller client is saying i agreed to the lower price even though we're missing an initial there but we agreed to that lower price and and we and we want you to pay the deposit right now and make sure you pay it and you better close and i keep saying well you know, we're not we're not giving you the deposit because the client was not going to go ahead with it no matter what so at the end of the day you know they could take a position that you know that we're wrong and and want to sue us because they're going to have to sell to somebody else and i kept saying you know we're not giving the deposit we're not going to close sell to somebody else mitigate your damages because we're not doing it At the end of the day you know there'll be all kinds of factors that'll go into if this goes to court to see what was the intention of the parties you know you know was there an email exchange between the agents was there a text message confirming that they were accepting that lower price even though technically they didn't initial it properly all of those things will become material because the seller is going to obviously argue that good faith argument. Okay. In the meantime, that was Saturday night. It's now Monday morning. We're saying we're not going ahead. You've lost nothing. It wasn't a multi-offer. It wasn't like they turned down other buyers. We're saying, just go ahead and find somebody else. Cause we're not going to close, you know, at the end of the day, you know, who's going to be raising right, me wrong. But if I'm on the seller side, I'd be writing a letter saying, you know, you're wrong, we reserve our rights, we're going to sell to somebody else, but we're coming after you for the damage. But here, there was no deposit. So they can't say, you know, give us, you know, we're keeping the deposit, it was never submitted, which is a default too, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? If,
1: uh, if that transaction was being purchased by a real estate agent for themselves, would the threshold be higher? Would the burden of proof be a lot higher? Because You know the person is a professional and they're transacting um and and you know um would it would it be easier to to hold that person accountable in that in in that situation
0: i think it would if 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 you're in court and you're and you're really having a dispute over the good faith aspect of it okay because if you were a naive buyer um, relying on your agent's advice and the agent's sign here or initial here and you don't, and you thought you did. So your recourse, ultimately, if the buyer is at fault, your recourse might be against your agent because maybe your agent didn't do the right thing, but it might not be against the other party. Okay. But if you're the agent involved, you're the one that that should be at, at a bit of a higher standard. And, and you should know what you're doing. And you should know that everything is supposed to be initialed and signed. And one of the arguments on this one that I made to the other lawyer, because she just kept writing to me, and we insist that you provide the deposit, right? But no, for the 10th time, we're not providing the deposit. And she right. said, it, it doesn't, it, you'll find this interesting. The, the seller did sign and the, the acknowledgement of acceptance on the agreement of purchase and sale. Even though they didn't initial right where the price change was, they signed the acknowledge acceptance saying that, you know all the terms of the agreement have been agreed to. Right. So she's relying on that, we signed that. So that should be enough because we're acknowledging that, that everything is in there and we're telling you that we acknowledge that everything was good and we're accepting the lower price. And I said, yeah, but you didn't initial the lower price. If that was true, then why do we go through the process on every single transaction of initialing every single change to an agreement of purchase and sale why bother doing that if all you have to do is sign the acknowledgement at the end that we acknowledge we're accepting all the terms of the agreement right and then she went silent on me like i haven't had a response back for a week after i said put that one out there right
1: it's an interesting argument um you know And I don't want I mean, I can't really offer my opinion on this one um, for obvious reasons, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here.
0: Right. And, you know, and and sometimes you you we may never find out ultimately because it may never go to court. Right. And, 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 you know, and, and most things don't. So if it never goes to court, you'll never ultimately find out who's right, who's wrong, and do we do the right thing, right? So all we can do is take our position to protect our clients, our mutual clients, the best we can, look at the facts of the case and make our best arguments. But, you know, at the same time, like, like I started our conversation here, we're always looking for practical solutions too, right? So, uh, you know, in this case, it was never going to be practical for us to hand them over a deposit check and then have to the fight. Like we're in a much better position, not having given the deposit check. I think if we had given the deposit check and then tried to make the argument, Oh, things weren't initialed properly. And you know, what price was agreed upon? Well, you obviously thought you had a deal because you, the evidence is you gave a deposit check afterwards. Right. right. So you know, but that's the thing, you always have to look at the facts and everything we do in the course of a transaction can become a relevant fact, not just the written agreement of purchase and sale. Like, that's the most important thing. Okay, and the law says that over and over again, the contract is the most important thing. But then there's other factors that come in and it's what did the agents say to each other? What did the agents communicate by text or by email? What were the phone calls? What evidence is there of all that? those factors? and a lot of that leads to those good faith arguments right and reliance on certain things that was provided right so there's a lot of moving parts on on these issues
1: and i think the most important thing is to involve your legal professionals as early as possible you know when a transaction goes firm and you have any sort of indication from the opposite party that things are not progressing the way they should be towards closing and there's some sort of an issue. I think communication is probably the single most important differentiating factor that will get you to that successful closing, right? And that's why, you know, we certainly um, beat this into our agents. Literally, um, you have to have best of breed professionals helping your clients every step of the way. Right. So a lawyer that is responsive, that is communicative, that will, you know, communicate with the client, that will communicate with the realtor, where, you know, it's really a team environment, everybody works together to make sure that, hey, An email goes out to the other lawyer, anticipatory breach, what's going on, let's talk about this, this is our legal position, this is the position that we're taking, you know, we'll work with you, let's work together, do we have to negotiate an extension, if we do negotiate an extension, we want to further deposit to solidify the seller's position and make it stronger, right, And, and, you know, making sure that once that other closing date comes, the extension, uh, you know, the probability of closing is that much higher and the seller is even in a better situation than they were yesterday.
0: Right. And and we got to remind ourselves that we're on the same team on these transactions too. And I know when I get involved in these types of situations, I like people to tell me what's really going on. I want the real information, the real background from the agents, from the clients themselves. Sometimes there's a tendency to say, okay, okay, you want out of the deal. You really, it's really a cold feet thing, but we're going to look for a technical reason to get out of this. And let's see if we, if if Cormans can find a reason for us to get out. But I want to know that. I want to know that the reason they want to get out is because they just changed their mind. They just had cold feet or they found another property. That doesn't mean I'm disclosing that to the other side. But I have to know that so I don't put anything stupid in my letter or in my discussions to the other lawyer uh, in making arguments that will not hold up at the end of the day. Because well, facts it's not
1: predictable what was said before by the agent or the client.
0: Yeah, because facts come out, right? So, so you have to really let your, your lawyer know exactly what's really going on. And what really happened in the negotiations and the transaction, you can say, okay, but that's what really happened, but this is why we want to get out, and can you find a way to get us out, or am I stuck? Because sometimes the answer is no, you can't get out. There isn't a loophole, there isn't a technicality, everything was done properly, and you're either going to close, or this is what's going to happen if you don't close, right? But it's really important for the agent to be up front with the lawyer, too, and the clients to be up front with and and tell them the whole story. It doesn't mean that I repeat it. I say, I don't call up the other lawyer and say, oh, you know, my client's got cold feet. Even though we've got a firm deal, they want to get out. Can you talk to your client and see if we can, you know, please let us out and give us our deposit back? Like, you know, we don't deal with it that way. But we're in a much better position when we know all the facts.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, the team environment and working together for the best interest of the clients. I mean, that's that's absolutely crucial. Right. Um, David, at the time of actually negotiating the offer, you know, let, let's talk about that, because I think agents, especially the listing agents, could be doing a lot in terms of pre-qualifying and asking the right questions to making sure that, you know, some of these issues don't even happen in the first place, right? Right. And, you know, especially in this market, the market has softened a little bit, you know, um, a lot of agents, I I call it offer happy. When they get an offer, they're, oh my God, you know, this is the right offer, this is is great, we got something in paper, right? But before you rush to accept it, I really encourage everybody to really sit down and ask the right questions, you know, ask qualifying questions, don't be afraid to really sit down. And, you know, how long has the buyer been in their current property? You know, what kind of a mortgage does the buyer have? What do they do for for a living? Is the spouse working? Um, you know, ask the right questions, really qualify those buyers. And trust me, your seller will appreciate it they're going to appreciate you going the extra mile and by you going the extra mile and asking these questions, you're going to limit the likelihood of issues coming up at closing and you're going to be able to catch them and address them uh, well beforehand, right? The other thing is ask what kind of a deposit or down payment the buyer is giving, right? And if the buyer, if the agent says, oh, this is, you know, we're we're putting more than 50% uh, down, To me, my antennas go up and and I say, that's amazing. Great. Is your deposit only 20,000? You know, like uh, let's let's raise that so that when the closing date comes, we know that there's going to be no issues and you're going to be able to close without any issues. You know, let's turn that 20,000 into 50,000 to 80,000 to 100,000. You're going to have to put that money down anyways. Your closing is in 45 days. Why not put that money down now? You're going right. to get way more concessions from us in terms of price, in terms of maybe closing date. Maybe we'll even throw in that patio furniture and that barbecue, but <laughs> you're going to give us a lot of reassurances and a lot of confidence right. that you know, come closing date, you're not going to be asking for extensions. You're going to have the financial capacity to close and that you know, this transaction is really going to be smooth um, in all respects moving forward. And that's really, you know, we talked about buyer um, um, what's word I'm looking for experience, right? Buyer experience. This goes into it. This plays into buyer experience. If you can ensure that you have a smooth closing and that there's no, you know, hidden issues that come up and no, no, no renegotiations. And you know, that closing date comes, boom, we have a closing, we have a substantial deposit. This is guaranteed. It's ironclad and nothing is ironclad by the way, nothing's a hundred percent but you can mitigate certain factors and, and work together to make sure that you know, think, come closing, there's gonna be no issues.
0: Yeah, and just on the deposit issue alone, like sometimes you know, people say, okay, you know, they, they know they're, they're in the market, they're gonna buy a house, so they've got their $25,000 ready to put down on a deposit because like they got it ready, right? But all of a sudden, maybe the negotiations know that you know, the seller really wants a $50,000 deposit. And sometimes it's not an issue of, do they have the money available? But they don't have it available right then to, to do it within 24 hours of acceptance or something. So there's nothing wrong with you putting in a clause and you get twenty five thousand within upon acceptance or or herewith with. So it's submitted right with the signed offer, and an additional twenty five thousand will be provided a week later or ten days later or something because they got to get their money together. You know, on commercial transactions, you know, we're doing that routinely. A lot of times, there's a deposit. And then at the end of a due diligence period, there's a there's a further deposit to just really lock you in. And there's nothing wrong with doing that in a residential transaction, too. So it doesn't mean you know, if I go like I can't get it for another week, we're not going to sit on this for a week. So give us what you can today. And if you need a week to give us more, we still want more because that still locks them in a little more. So I think agents should be mindful of that and at least make make the inquiry, and see if you could get that, right?
1: And i love the further deposit on removal of conditions which is so common commercial i love that because um, you know think about the uh, perception or the persona of a buyer they're coming in into an unknown they love the house right but they're a little apprehensive right but then when they go through their you know financing and they go through a home inspection they spend a little bit more time with the property Okay, well now they're feeling comfortable now now they're willing to Okay, you know what we've given $50,000 the offer we're going to give another hundred thousand dollars because the inspection came back super clean. You know we spent a couple more hours in the property We feel really good and you know what we really want to show the seller and and agree to our agreement and and show them that you know what we are moving forward and come closing date there's going to be no issues.
0: Yeah. And and this all, you know, it's part of like what you said, it's really important. You're on the selling side, but you have to do some work to pre-qualify your buyers and, and, and experienced agents know that the best purchase price is not always the best offer. Okay, especially in the, the climate that we've gone through when when, when there's these bidding wars and everything. Like it's not always the case you take the highest offer when you're in these bidding wars. It's you have to look at who's making it. Do they have an ability to close? You really got to do your homework. And a good agent does that to help pre-qualify on the on the buyer's side. Obviously, the buyer's agent should be doing that too, to make sure their clients really have an ability to close. Because It's not good if you're on the buyer's side and you, you get them locked into something and they've overstretched. And then they're happy. And because they've overstretched, now they're having the cold feet and getting the second thoughts. Like don't put your buyer in that position. Right. So make sure you've got, they've got ability to close. And, and one question I get all the time from agents is, uh, you know, I work really hard on this transaction. We got it. And now my buyer may not close. Do I still get paid?
1: <laughs>
0: and, and no, you don't get paid. You know, that's, you do not get paid commission unless there's, successful completion of the transaction so it doesn't matter how hard you worked and how much you killed yourself uh, you know it, it, you know you're signing the standard representation agreement you're not getting paid unless the transaction closes and if the buyer walks away whether they had the right to walk away or they don't have the right to walk away you're still not getting paid for that now if the buyer still has a good relationship with you and, you're, and because you haven't you know upset them too much you you know you might get a chance to find them another property and you'll get paid on that closing, but you only get paid on successful completion. So as an agent, don't put yourself in that position. It doesn't help you or your commission. It doesn't help your buyer.
1: Right. Um, the other thing I encourage uh, listing agents to do is ask for a pre approval letter, right? Or you know ask ask for. You know, if you really want to go the extra mile, ask for the mortgage broker's phone number. And, you know, while you're sitting with the sellers, call the mortgage broker and say, hey, we just received this wonderful offer from Mr. X. We just wanted to call and just confirm that Mr. X has his ducks in a row and that, uh, you know, there's going to be no issues during closing. Right. Um, go that extra mile because, again, you know, um, your sellers are going to appreciate it. And you might uncover some issues that, uh, you know, uh, even even the other realtors not aware of by by having that conversation.
0: Yeah, and and pre approval uh, means a lot of different things. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts too. like, uh, just because you've got a letter from a lender saying, Oh, I approve you for a mortgage up to a million dollars on a property. Like if if it if it ends right there you might be okay but if but it doesn't usually usually is subject to be us being satisfied with the following conditions and then there's a dozen conditions because they still haven't looked at their employment letter confirming what they're making they still haven't looked at their at their tax returns they still haven't you know been provided evidence of what's in their bank account and the source of funds and there's like and the list goes on and on and on so So the approval letter is not worth the paper it's written on because those conditions haven't been complied with. And the biggest one in those conditions these days is it's still conditioned on there being an appraisal by the lender. Okay. And that's creating a lot of issues right now for people because they sign an agreement in May, supposed to close the end of June market shifts for all the reasons you laid out so beautifully You know, all the, you know, the interest rate increases, the war in Ukraine, post-COVID inflation, all these things. And now they go do an appraisal a couple of days before closing in June. And they're saying, hey, this isn't worth a million bucks. It's worth, if we had to, if the bank has to resell the property, we might get 900,000 out of tops. So we're only going to lend based on a value of 900, even if all the other conditions have now been satisfied. We're not giving you as much money as you thought you were going to get in your approval letter. So now what, Mr. Buyer?
1: Well, now the buyer has to go to a B lender and come up with the difference. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times they need more time to get their, their ducks in a row. And, you know, it, it's a stressful time for them, right? It's a stressful time for them. And I, I think the message that I want to send here is that, you know, you have to communicate and you have to work with the other side and be compassionate and, and, and really, You know, work to put the deal together, not to obstruct the deal, right? Right. Which is, you know, the big thing that your firm is so adamant about and and rightfully so, right? Like there's two parties, everybody needs to work together. Um, You know, I wouldn't focus so much on the penalty and then the punitive side of, hey, we're going to charge you all these fees. I would always focus on, you know, let's increase the seller's position. Let's get a further deposit. Let's let's make that deposit that we received refundable to to uh, to the seller in certain situations. You know, let's let's put them in a better situation than they were yesterday, and work with the buyer to make sure that you know the closing does happen again, in a shifting market, you got to take a little bit of a different approach, because if you are forced to go back on the market, the chances or the likelihood of you obtaining that same uh, purchase price that you did in, in in those previous months is significantly lower. Right. And if the seller has to go through the court system and has to go through litigation to make up the damages and the difference, that's going to take a long time. So again, it's it's back to that buyer experience or the seller experience or the client experience that you want to provide and you just want to protect their interest every step of the way and ensure you get a smooth closing uh, at right the end of the day. right and if
0: it does have to go through the court system there's uncertainty too like no matter how much you think you're in the right and the other side all the facts have to come out everything comes out and it takes a long time it's an expensive process to go right through the whole thing it's even if you're a non-defaulting party and you've done everything right, I don't encourage anybody to, to go that route if there's another option. So like you said, David, like, let's be reasonable. Okay, If you're a seller and the buyer's got problems, first of all, I always appreciate it when the buyer's lawyer contacts us as soon as possible saying, hey, heads up, we, we, we may have an issue with financing or we just got an appraisal that came in really low. Um, we, we might have an issue, we might need more time, we're not sure, but, but it's better for them to let us know as soon as possible, um, as opposed to springing on the, you know, the last second, the day of closing, that there's a problem. And we try and do the same thing. Like, you know, if we're on the other side, we know we're on both sides of these problem files. So if, if we know we're, we've got an issue come up and we may have a problem closing, I like to get in touch with the other lawyer and say, you know we're not telling you we're not closing, but we're telling you we might have a problem. We're working on it. Here's what's going on. We might need a day or two, or maybe we're gonna need a week, et cetera. So one thing that I would tell everybody to do, and I just had this conversation this morning with another lawyer. Uh, who is similar firm to ours, and we do transactions together. And I actually like when a firm like that is on the other side of a transaction. So we just, we talked about our file, but then he said, you know, he said, David, what are you doing in these situations? What are you telling your clients in these situations? And I said, what I'm telling almost every client to do right now, when you're buying and selling is arrange for a bridge loan. Okay. Because you never know if you're going to need it. So if you're you know, you're selling a property, and you got to buy a property, arrange for a bridge loan if you can get one. And hopefully you don't need to use it. But you might have to because your buyer may not be able to close on the day of closing might need a day might need a couple days might need a week or more. So if you can arrange for a bridge loan just in case, okay, like the banks generally don't charge you anything or if they do, it's a minor administration fee to try and set it up. And even if you have to borrow the money for a few days or a week or, or two weeks because you had to grant an extension, it, the interest rates are still low enough. Even with the rise in recent interest, it's still low enough that it's small, small dollars compared to what would happen if you don't have it. And all of a sudden you get a last minute thing. Oh, my buyer can't close and we need a week's extension. You're going a week's extension, but I got to close my purchase in three days and I don't have a week. Well, if you have a bridge loan, you can, you can do that. Okay. You can close your purchase. You can grant reasonable terms on an extension and you, you know, and get both transactions closed.
1: I love that advice. It's kind of like, you know, looking ahead of the eight ball and, and ensuring that there's really no issues and that we get the most, you know, uninterrupted closings in the marketplace. Cause you can imagine if, you know, um, a seller sells a house and they buy a property, but the buyer for their house defaults and now they're not able to, you know, close that property and now right. they're not able to close It's It's a, you know, it's a chain reaction. There's a
0: whole chain and we come across those all the time. So, and, and we might just be, you know, you as an agent, we might be right in the middle of it somewhere, completely innocent. Right. But all of a sudden we can't close our transactions because we can't buy until we complete our sale and someone down the chain, can't get their funding on time. And we, and all of a sudden we're stuck. So we want to anticipate these things as much as we can do whatever we can to, uh, you know, to, to have alternate funding available and a bridge loan. If, if you get it set up and you don't use it, cause everything goes smoothly, they don't charge you for it. You know, they're not, you're not paying interest on that money. You haven't borrowed the money. Um, so it's great insurance. If you can, if you can get the bridge loan. Okay. And and the other point you made, David, I just want to pick up on that, because like you're saying, when you're negotiating terms of extension, like you shouldn't try and be penal in what you're doing. And that's the initial reaction of most people who are saying, hey, I'm innocent, I'm ready to close my ducks are in a row, I have done nothing. They're the one that needs an extension, like screw them, they're making my life inconvenient. And I'm under stress and pressure. And it's all their fault. So okay, we're going to give them a week's extension. But let's make them pay for it you know and then then a point you get to point in the negotiation of the terms extension where you make it too difficult for them and then they and they can't agree to it because you if you make the terms too onerous you're demanding too much of an additional deposit or you know like i think a seller should make sure a seller shouldn't lose money if their buyer is you know would otherwise default and needs an extension so if they have legitimate carrying costs to give them that weak extension they should be paid for that you know their interest that they got to pay out and the utilities and their insurance they should collect all that but it doesn't mean that a seller should try and seek a profit or a windfall or you know what the buyer negotiated me down by ten thousand dollars when i signed the agreement this is my opportunity to get that ten thousand back because i really wanted that that 10 like yeah you can try but at the end of the day, if you make it too difficult, you're not going to get reasonable terms of extension worked out and you're not gonna be ahead of the game. You're you know, you're if you like you said, if your transaction does not close and you got to put it back on the market and sell it to somebody else,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's not a good scenario. David, how does
1: the concept of clean hands work? Like in a situation where a buyer asks for an extension and provides proof that they're able to close a week from now but the seller is being completely unreasonable. Um, Could that be viewed as the seller not having clean hands if if the buyer defaults because an extension is not reached and then the seller sues the buyer and then in front of the court, the buyer says, well, your honor, I provided a a mortgage commitment with a closing date of a one week from now. I agreed to all the carrying costs. I agreed to pay the the interest on the mortgage and property taxes and utilities but you know, the seller wanted an extra $20,000 on top and I just couldn't come up with the money. Could, could the courts view that as the seller not having clean hands in that situation?
0: Yeah, well, that's when it comes down to that good faith, bad faith type of an argument, okay? Because you know, you know, first the judge is looking at what's the written agreement say? Like that's what they're mostly focused on and they're saying based on the written agreement, this is what I would decide. Okay, who's at fault and who who complied, who didn't comply with the written agreement. But then when you get into those other arguments, which are really equitable arguments, okay, which is saying, like, there's there's an there's an inherent unfairness. Okay. And if you're making that type of an argument, then you better come to the court with clean hands. If you're alleging bad faith on by the other party, then you better make sure that there's no bad faith on your side, too, because as soon as a judge sees that there was some bad faith in your side too. He's just going to ignore that whole good faith, bad faith argument because they're looking at the equities to try and see if there's an inherent fairness or unfairness under this is a party. Just trying to take advantage of the situation. It's right. one thing trying to enforce your agreement, make sure you don't lose any money. And it's another thing to say, Oh, this is my opportunity to, to awesome. renegotiate what I thought I could have got two months ago. Ball. And, and this is an opportunity to be penal. Cause I know I've got them. They have to close or they're not going to want to walk away from their deposit. And and I can just really hammer them, you know, with this. So, you know, that's when that comes into play. So we got to be careful. And and I'm, you know, and I counsel our clients that way, you know, you got to be reasonable. Here's what your rights are. Here's what the facts are. Here's what your rights are. This is what happened. If it doesn't close, if it goes to court, this is what a judge is likely to look at, but is that really good for you? Okay. Like let's, go back and say okay now you know what your rights are and how you're going to get there if you want to stand on those legal principles but let's focus on how what's the practical solution to getting this transaction closed okay i'm not telling our client you know you should lose money but sometimes they might lose a little bit it still might be worth it for them right you know i, I did one a, a few years ago where you know we had a client gave up hundred thousand dollars of the purchase price as, as a term of an extension okay wow in order to keep a deal going uh, because it was way better for them to try and close, you know, like this is, you know, they think they sold for five and a half million at the time when all the evidence was the property was worth 4.8 to 4.9. Okay. And they got somewhere from five and a half. And now that buyer needed an extension and the buyer was saying, Hey, I can't get my financing because now the appra- it's appraised at 4.8. Right. So it made sense ultimately in our negotiation for a client to say, you know what, we're going to give you as a good faith on our side, we're going to give you $100,000 off from the price. Okay. Because it'd be better for us to close at 5.4 than to put it back in the market and try and get 4.8 from somebody and then sue you for the difference. And exchange for that, we want an additional deposit. And we got a significant additional deposit paid and we got them to agree if they don't close on the on the extension date that those deposit monies will all be released right away without a fight over it and things. So and it made way more sense for them to agree to a one hundred thousand dollar reduction in price to keep that deal alive and not have the uncertainty of litigation and and all that. So got to look at each situation on its own
1: yeah again great example of working together and making sure that all parties benefit and and there's a successful closing one other thing i really wanted to bring up quickly this is a situation that we encountered on a brokerage level where you know one of our agents representing a buyer um, wanted to purchase a house with a garage and then ultimately couldn't find one within the budget so they bought a house with a carport family got involved And then the family's like, you know what? This isn't what my mother wanted. Cancel the transaction, right? So they never delivered the deposit, unfortunately. Um, The listing agent, I was so impressed with her conduct. This is just unbelievable. So she um, put the house back on the market, set up for multiple offers, but inserted a condition that any successful offer that is accepted will be... um, conditional on the review of the seller's solicitor for five banking days and then what she did is she came back to my agent and said look we now know what the damages are the difference and i've been instructed in writing by my seller to release the 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 details of the successful offer that we've accepted in anticipation of the breach that your client has uh has provided to the agreement and the difference is fifty five thousand dollars We're giving you until Friday at 4 p.m. to, um, you you know, to deliver the deposit and reignite your offer. Otherwise, we're going to be accepting the other offer and we're going to be waiving that condition. And I just thought this is a really brilliant way to, number one, avoid litigation. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, think outside the box and, and reignite that original offer and get the seller that you know, better purchase price and avoid heartache and, and a big mess for the buyer that is in breach of that agreement.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was very clever. And, and I think the timing obviously worked in their favor because like, you just never know when you go back to the market, right? You may not get a couple offers right away. Sometimes it could sit for weeks right now. Uh, you know, we're in a bit of a different market. So if it's sitting for a longer period of time and then you get an offer, you know, do you still have the same opportunity to go back, uh, you know, to the first buyer and say, hey, this is your chance because we know what our damages are likely to be. But in that scenario, like that was, that was brilliant. Like, why not? You know, and because it's still better for everybody, if, it'll be better for all parties if they get that first transaction closed as opposed to the second transaction. Right. So if there's still an opportunity to it, like, you know, why not do it? And, and we do that as part of when I've had to default a buyer on a transaction and I write our, our, our letter to the other lawyer saying, you know, you're in breach and we're, you know, we're going to sue you and we're going to put it back in the market. But we're reserving rights to sue you and blah, blah, blah. I, al- I always follow that up with, you know, a conversation or something with the other lawyer and say, you know, you know, by the way, you know, we got to do that. And we're going to put it back in the market. But if your client gets his ducks in a row in the next few days or a week before we sign another agreement, please come back to us because we can revive that offer and we might still do it. So it's not like over forever, like, you know, that still might be a good thing for them to be if they can get their financing together or whatever was the holdup, if they can put get their act together and come back, like why as sellers, why wouldn't we listen to them? Like it, 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 it makes sense for everybody. Right. So even though we take our strict legal position, it's always followed with a, you know, like, I wish you luck. Like, if you can get your act together, you know, get in touch with us and we'll try and be reasonable in, in terms of resurrecting the deal. And again, we would negotiate that because if you're trying to revive a deal, we want to protect the seller, make sure they haven't lost anything. But again, we don't want to be pigs about it. We want if we're going to revive it, let's come to reasonable terms and get it and get it done, because sometimes that's still your best option.
1: And you know what my advice was to my agent? I said to him, because he made it very clear that the buyer was really uncomfortable with that price. So I said, look, you now know what the amount of damages are. You know, maybe you can't get your buyer to really commit that the price that they originally committed, but maybe you get them to commit $20,000 over what the other buyer is willing to pay. And maybe that's going to be enough for the seller to say, you know what, I will offer Still good. Still more money. I want to avoid litigation. I want to avoid all that negativity and and put the deal together.
0: Right. No, that's great advice. Right. So it's not, it's like we've been saying, it's not just standing on your legal principles. "Oh, I'm entitled to every single dollar that I sold the property for, because sometimes that's not your best position. You gotta, you gotta explore what are the other options, you know? And like, I keep repeating myself, but closing a transaction is always better than not closing a transaction and and that's that's our whole focus in our office and we're on both sides of this like we're we're on the side of the innocent seller ready to close and and sometimes we're on the side of the buyer that just sometimes has cold feet and sometimes not acting good faith and sometimes they're acting in really good faith but market conditions have shifted and now all of a sudden they got a problem and they can't get their they can't get their financing and they've got it they've got an issue and they need more time so we're on both sides of this so but my advice is the same, you know. Let's figure out how we can close the transaction. What are what are the best options, right? That always has to be the focus.
1: Yeah, guys, we're we're going through a little bit of a transitional market. Um, things are difficult out there. So important to communicate. So important to work together um david corman and i are here if anybody has any questions reach out to us you know we we see these difficult situations all the time and we're here to help and and we're passionate about you know um helping and, and and you know talking through some of these situations with you so don't be afraid to reach out to us um and and hustle hustle hard out there there's tons of opportunities uh there's tons of motivated sides buyers and sellers And we're still seeing a lot of transactions coming together. There's still a lot of demand for real estate. Immigration is high, um, you know, and historically looking at the situation, rates are still pretty low. They're not that high, right? Mm -hmm. They're higher than they were yesterday. Higher than
0: they were, but they were at historical lows. Right. Right.
1: So, you know, it's still a great market, you know, um, and and David Corman, we're here and I are here. If you guys have any questions, reach out to us. I'd love to chat more, um, and and you know, buy real estate. Keep buying real estate. It's still great to buy. Well, and and
0: I know you're you're ready. We got to sign off. At one point, I want to make David, and, and we've talked about this before too. Yeah. And it goes back to my point about agents who've grown up in the last couple of years. Like all they're doing is filling in the blanks on an agreement. But you know what kind of agent you have when you're in a market like we're currently in, when negotiation has to happen to get an agreement done and sometimes a renegotiation has to happen to get a deal closed and the same thing on the legal side there's a lot of lawyers out there and a lot of lawyers can close a routine transaction but what happens when things go off the rails like who do you want in your team and I encourage people to make sure you've got a really good agent and and I think the same. make sure you got a really good lawyer involved especially in times like this and I'm not saying everything has to go to you know, David Gorski and everything has to come to to Corman's LLP. Obviously, we you know we we want the business and everything, but it's more important than ever that you have pr- good proper representation and that your representation works as a team on these things as well.
1: Hundred percent. Awesome, David. Well, listen, this is so much fun getting back into a conversation with you and I. It's nice to have guests, but I I enjoy my conversations and, you know, uh, I I think we're very passionate about what we talk about. So uh, this is a lot of fun and thank you for today.
0: All right. Always a pleasure, David. Number 50 in the books.
1: Love it. 51 coming up. (laughs) Yeah. All right. See you guys next week.